gospel, 23rd chapter, verse 33 and 34. When they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Father, there's no one in this room or this planet who has ever walked this planet other than Christ himself can understand this. And Father, yet, you said it before us. We come tonight to bow to it. We come tonight to hear to it. Father, I ask, just as Nicodemus and Joseph came to claim the body, that we would claim this salvation. Hold firm to it, even amidst all of the skeptics. Help us, Father, in this day and this age. Help us to rest full weight upon the amazement of Christ and Christ alone. To you, my King. Amen. Let me explain to you where I am in the Gospel of Luke. He's had the upper room. He's been with his disciples. He's encouraged them for the last time to explain to them what is about to happen. He already warned them. I must go to Jerusalem and die. He's already told them. This is what's happening. But this is a good thing. Because when I die, the Holy Spirit will come back unto you. And as the Holy Spirit comes back to you, you will be recalling the things that I've done. And you will be my witnesses to Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. When he, they, the gospel reached L.A., it was the ends of the earth. Did you know that? I always thought about that. If you think about where the Middle East is, if it goes all the way around to L.A., we got there. He leaves after the Passover meal, crosses the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley has a stream that flows through it uh, to this very day. And there is a um, drainage system that comes off of the Temple Mound where the slaughter is. Where they sacrificed the lambs. And that blood would run that didn't coagulate. And they would keep pouring water on it. And it would run out of these troughs. And it would hit to this Kidron. And it would flow through the Kidron. When he crossed the Kidron, the Kidron would have been running pinkish. And he would step across the blood that was being sacrificed for the sins of Israel. And he would have crossed that. He would have gone up on the other side to the Mount of Olives. It's where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Shortly thereafter, cohorts from the temple guard and the Romans would come and arrest him. They would take him. They would bring charges before Annas. They'd bring charges before Caiaphas. They would bring charges before Herod. Then they would bring charges before Pilate. They would beat him. They would mock him. They would lay purple robes on him so that the blood on his back would have enough time to dry so when they took it off, 
they would tear open the wounds again. They put a crown of thorns on his head. So that they could mock him as king of the Jews. They would have stripped him naked, nailed him to a cross. Crucifixion, it's bizarre because John's gospel says they crucified him. That is the detail. Because you make that statement in that day and age, they knew what you were saying. It was to humiliate the person on the cross, but it was to send a message to humanity who would look upon this cross and say, whatever he did, I want to make sure I don't do that. I have read sermons from Robert Murray McShane, from John Knox, from Charles Spurgeon. I have read sermons from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And they speak of the words from the cross. What did Jesus say from the cross? And yet I can summarize the whole entire cross in verse 34. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. There are many words from the cross. As the oldest son of a Jewish family... John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. Because when the father died, it was the oldest son's responsibility to care for the mother. And one of Jesus' last deals was, let me make sure someone was taking care of my mother. And I, I, I always think about the temple curtain veil being ripped and how massive that thing was. Three layers thick and how much it weighed. And I was, I remember reading Gamali and Gamali was speaking of the temple veil being ripped and how it was tradition that in the Jewish nation, if a father's lost his son, the first thing he would do was rip his robe. And had God ripped his robe after death as this Nazarene. It's interesting, isn't it? Eli, Eli, Lamasabakhtane. Why have you forsaken me? He said from the cross. But he looked at the thief and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. There are many who have given messages on the words from the cross. But I look at Luke's gospel and Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You know what that is to me? Christ is on mission and he's showing his mercy in his mission. I want you to think about it for a minute. Have you ever been wrongly accused of anything? They accused you of something and you didn't do it. I remember one time when I was in high school, this girl 
banged on a door of a classroom. We were waiting for a class to get out and banged on the door and she walked away and the teacher came out mad. I got blamed for it and got paddled. That was back when you corporal punishment. And I, to this day, I'm scarred forever. I didn't bang on the door. I didn't even like that girl. But I was standing there. Have you ever been accused of doing something wrong? I think about him mocking him. I think about them covering his head and spitting on him and beating him with their fists. I think about what it means to be crucified when they you carry the beam to the place of your crucifixion and they tie it around your biceps so you're holding on to it. And then when they get there, they run either a wooden or a bronze or a copper stake between the ulna and radius of your wrist. I know that a lot of people say it was in his hands. Well, it wasn't. It was in his wrist because the hand wouldn't hold it. They bend both feet down, one on top of the other, and they run it right straight to the top of the arches. And then, it's still laying on the ground, they take it and lift it by ropes so it can slide into a socket, a, a predisposed post hole. And as it settles down into the bottom of that post hole, all the weight all of a sudden becomes upon those nails in the top of his feet and those in his wrist. And this is God incarnate. Now, if I'm God incarnate, I've already got a legion of angels in my pocket. I am about to ruin your day. Because you don't want to be judged and slandered unjustly. Let alone suffer that pain. Yet in men acting as wickedly as they were, he was on mission and it was completely encompassed in mercy. To the point that when they set that cross up and it set down in that post hole, he could look upon those people who were doing this to him and say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if you're really honest with yourself, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about seeing people saved, when we talk about this or we talk about that, and Jesus is great and glorious and all the rest of it, he hung on that cross for forgiveness. Now, when I look at these words here, and Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I look at that as a petition. I also look at that, you can call it petition and or prayer. So, I have a question. I read to you the Lord's Prayer. John 17. And I've heard the debates. Has this ever been answered? Really? Has the church ever been one? Yeah. When they are sanctified in truth and thy word is truth, they are one. 
I am one with Lutherans and Presbyterians. And then, of course, you don't, in this day and age, the non-denominationalist. And then, of course, you have the, we are a Bible church, which has always been sort of a weird thing to me. Aren't all of them? <laughs> but anyway. All right. Uh, and then, then you have those that, but I'm a Messianic congregation, and I joyfully look at them and say, so am I. <laughs> okay. Is there a oneness in the body of Christ? Yes, absolutely. Okay, has his glory been left on that oneness? Absolutely. Has that church done greater than what he has done? Absolutely. So John 17's prayer was asked. But now you have to ask yourself a question. Hanging on the cross, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Was that answered? Was that petition answered? Um, well, I will answer it quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. Verse 40 through 43 of the same chapter. But the other answered, the two thieves, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve. This man's hanging on a cross, too. And he's yelling at his buddy. Okay. We deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. The one thief was condemning him. You can save yourself. And the other thief said, hey, we're suffering because we're supposed to. He is suffering unjustly. So, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. First glimpse of that that I see, thief on the cross. Thief on the cross. Verse 47. Now the centurion. Okay, centurion means I'm in control. I'm in command of a hundred. Okay. Verse 47 says to the centurion saw what would happen. He began praising God saying, certainly this man was innocent. That's the conversion of the centurion. Father, forgive them. They don't know. what. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? That's the essence of this thing. What you call Christianity Have you been forgiven by God? Because it really doesn't matter about the rest. Have you been forgiven by God? He forgave the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The centurion looked at it and says, I can't handle this. Truly, this is the son of. Son of God. So you immediately see that. So I see the conversion of the thief. I see the conversion of the centurion. Forty days later, we come to a thing called Pentecost. Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit has come upon His disciples. A lot of bizarre things are going on. Rumors are going on here, there, and everywhere. 
And I want you to think about this one really close because this is an overlooked verse that nobody pays attention to. Acts chapter 6. Now remember, the groups of people who were crying for his crucifixion is the same group of people who were giving him hosannas to the king on the Sunday before. So, humanity's still fickled. I mean, there's times we look around and say, well, humanity's fickled. <laughs> it's not a new phenomenon. The word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And then look what it says. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. A great number of the temple priests, you know who those are, right? Those are the ones who condemned him. Those are the ones who said, he said he would tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days. That was those priests. And many of them were coming. And yet I can go back to his prayer, his petition. And he said, Father, forgive them. Okay, the man hanging on the cross and the agony and the anguish of what crucifixion was designed for, his main goal was forgiveness. Forgiveness. A great number of the temple priests came to forgiveness. So I see the leader of a hundred Roman soldiers comes to forgiveness. I see a thief on a cross come to forgiveness. And many of the people in the very city that called for his crucifixion came to forgiveness. And I see that even the temple priests were coming to forgiveness. You know what I've learned? I can look at this text, or any of the four Gospels actually, and then I can look at my own life. I can look at the Apostle Paul. Okay. And a few other, August, you know, uh, Augustine. I mean, you can just go down the line. Uh, John Calvin, John Knox. I just go down the line. And you know what? There is one thing that is in common with this text and what we're celebrating tonight. You know what it is? Forgiveness is a surprise. It just flat out shocks us. You're just like, whoa. But you know what? So is the cross. The cross is a surprise. Why? Because forgiveness is on that cross. You walk out of here. I hope you look at it. And you know what? It was tragic. I've got a book that describes what crucifixion and how you do it. And to this day, I, I read it the first time. I can't read it again. Roman law and, and duties. And, and I, I don't know. I don't want to do that again. And I mean, it has weird stuff in there. But what you have is somebody steals a denarii or da 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 and all these weird Roman customs. Uh, but crucifixion was in there. And I read it. And I said, oh, poo. And I won't read it again. 
Because that was not designed to be efficient. It was designed to send a message. Okay? And, and it was Roman normalcy. And yet, that very act is what God said, this will be the vehicle of my forgiveness. And when I look at people who are truly saved and who have all of a sudden grabbed a hold of what is forgiveness, you know what? It is a surprise. I hope that you, every one of you, rejoice in the surprise of Easter. Shazam! Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for forgiveness. Thank you for the great surprise. Father, as you forgave those who who humiliated our Lord and Savior that day on Golgotha, Father, may we understand that it was for us. Thank you, my King, my Lord. Father, I am overwhelmed with your surprise. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone today, this day, who has celebrated Good Friday understands surprise. And Father, it would overwhelm us. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. In Christ's name. Amen.